0: Good morning, my name's Penny and today I'm reading from Mark chapter 4 verses 1 to 20, the parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some a 100 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to St. Stephen's. My name is Prash. I'm the Senior Minister here. A very warm welcome if you're new or visiting. You found us on the uh, social media feed this morning. Great to have you with us. And regulars, always lovely t- to uh, to have to join you on the screen. We do miss you here in the building. It's cold this morning in the building because we haven't got the heaters on. And uh, it's colder because it's empty. But it is great to meet with you at least this way. And we're looking forward. We're looking forward to the time when we'll be back again As a church here now, if you're joining us today for the first time, you, you, or you're joining us after a few weeks, you are joining us at the end of a month thinking about our vision statement. We long to be a church made beautiful, diverse, and large by the gracious work of Christ. We've thought through the foundation of that, which is the gracious work of Jesus. We 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 started off this month saying nothing happens without Christ. We then looked at our commitment to the church, to this gathering of people. Uh, we're not just about uh, a commitment to an idea, but we are committed to meeting together. And then we've looked at these, we're looking at these three descriptors that we long our church to be. Beautiful, diverse, and today the word large. Now I wonder how you conceive of the church. I've got a couple of images for us here on the screen One a castle, the other a shack in a field. How do you conceive of the church in relation to the world around us? Do you think of the church as a castle? Do you think of it as a shack in the middle of a field? Do you think that's how other people conceive of the church? both of those pictures, and I'm not suggesting that either of them is, is actually the correct way to conceive of the church, but I wonder if behind your way of thinking about the church is essentially a positive vision of the church's influence and impact uh, of its cap- uh, capacity to, to shape the world around us and be influenced in culture. Is it a positive vision of that, or is it a pessimistic vision of that? Uh, and, and I think behind that the way you way you respond to the church positively or pessimistically will influence your willingness i think in some ways to grasp hold of this last descriptor this last longing of our vision statement a church that's made large by the gracious work of Christ now the question that we have before us i think and this is one of the this is the the, the most i think challenging of the three descriptors in some ways uh, is what does the Bible say about this? Can we rightly conceive of a large church? Is that a good thing to want? Um, now, as we do that, we've got to, we're going to kind of jump around the Bible a little bit. We're going to try and get a sense of the whole story of Scripture and particularly where God is taking his kingdom and his church and so see if that helps us think about this. And one of the key passages, the one that Penny had read for us just uh, prior to me coming on from Mark 4. Look how Jesus finishes this. This is a little account, a little parable that Jesus is told. And essentially, he finishes with this vision of the kingdom. He says, other seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. He conceives of the kingdom as a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now, this, there's a lot in that parable. We're going to come back and think about it a little bit through the course of this sermon. But I want you to notice... Jesus' positive, positive view of the kingdom of God. He says that the kingdom of God is a place which produces a harvest, some 30, 60, or 100. There's there's different levels of growth, but he 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 has a desire to see the kingdom grow. In John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, here at the end of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, before he's just about to go to the cross, but he says, you know what? You, what I hope, what I long for, what I'm desiring for you, my people, is that you bear much fruit. And it's not just Jesus' hope and desire for the kingdom. Actually, the early church... The accounts we have from the New Testament of letters and, and the apostles' reflections on the church life bear this through too. So this is from Colossians chapter 1, a letter to the churches in Colossi, And here's what Paul says. He says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Now, Pip just reflected on that for us in a spotlight segment. And you notice here that Paul is saying the very thing that Jesus longed to see is happening in the early church it's bearing fruit and growing and what i really find interesting about what paul says in this in this little extract from colossians is he's not just saying it's bearing fruit but it's actually growing there's these two there's two things he's describing there isn't there there's two things he's describing so so as we look at the bible we see that the bible has a very positive vision for the spread of the kingdom And for the growth of God's church, God longs for and does actually grow his church. The Bible is calling for us to have an optimistic vision, an optimistic vision of his church. It's pushing us, I guess, more towards the castle end. Now, of course, I said that that's not not the ultimate vision. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus describes the church in Matthew 5 as a city on a hill. A city on a hill, he has such a grand vision for God's people that they really would stand out, that they'd be be a a symbol, that they would would draw people's attention to them, that they would draw people to them. A city, not not a shack in a field, but a city on a hill. A shack in a field, in fact, was the image of God's people in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah. But here, in the New Testament, It is a city on a hill. What a glorious vision. But what do we mean by growth? I think this is where we get challenged sometimes. We think, oh yes, I can understand bearing fruit. Of course God wants us as individuals to bear fruit. But the idea of the church growing, is that really on point? Well, look at Acts chapter 2. At the end of Acts chapter 2, this is the... uh, portion of the book of acts recounting pentecost it's the very start of the church and we get this beautiful little glimpse of the first church and so and it's used i think by luke who wrote acts to help us get a sense of what the church was meant to be like so here's what acts chapter so i'm going to read these few verses for us they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer Is there's, there's a lot of things that happen in Acts which are one-off. They're, they're not things that we should necessarily expect to happen on a regular basis. But I think that these verses at the ends of Acts chapter 2 are actually meant to be a paradigm in a sense for the church now. And you notice the things that are growing here. There's a few things that are actually growing, and I think they're all captured when we have a vision of a church that's growing. The first is this, they devoted themselves to the Lord's teaching, to the apostles' teaching. They're growing in depth of maturity and conviction and understanding. They're growing to understand this message on a whole new level. They haven't they haven't settled for a superficial understanding of the gospel so that's something that we're longing for when we grow but you notice this verse 45 they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts that's such a great little picture in verses 45 and 46 of a warmth in fellowship they're growing in warmth as well there's a richness to their fellowship, a richness of sharing one another's possessions, sharing one another's time, sharing one another's homes. There's real warmth there. So there's a growth in depth, there's a growth in warmth. There's also, look at this, verse 47 and the Lord added to their number daily. Now, Luke doesn't need to add that, but he adds it because growth of the church numerically is also part of God's vision for his church. Remember, he's not looking for just a shack in the field. He's looking for a city on the hill. And Acts 2.47 says, this is what God is longing to do. And it's what he's doing in the early church. It's what Colossians is backing up. Now, it might be tempting, as I say, to say, well, that was the early church. God was doing something unique. He was setting up Christianity. But really, the experience of the church now should be more the shack in the hill. And I guess that's true. There are parts of the world where that is the reality. I mean, the church in places like Afghanistan at the moment is very much in survival mode. But actually, we've seen as well that throughout the course of history, the church does grow. God has these moments of great growth. Uh, And it happens in all sorts of places. It happens in... It happened in England at the Great Awakening. It happened in the US. It happened in Europe. It happened in Africa. It is happening in Africa. It happened in China. Interestingly, it happened in China in the midst of great persecution and hardship. You know, there's a great story of, in New York of, in 1857. It's called the Fulton Street Revival. And I love this story because it, it actually relates very closely to our own condition. Just after the great crash in Wall Street... The 1800s crash on the stock market. And the world had really been turned upside down. We live in a very similar situation. But a bunch of businessmen got together and decided to run a prayer meeting. The first week they had six people. The next week they had 20. And within a couple of months they had 10,000 people meeting to pray together to the God of the Bible. Extraordinary. Those stories are real. It's a, it's a reminder. The historical reality of, the, of God's church is that it does grow, that God longs to see not just depth but warmth and breadth of growth. Now, you might say to yourself, well, they're lovely moments. I mean, you got that from a history book. That's fantastic. But now in Australia, well, you know what? I want to tell you, that growth still happens and is happening. It's happening in our own city, in our own time and place. I went to Sydney University. I became a Christian there on campus with a group called the EU, the Evangelical Union. Back in 1998, I went to, to what is their annual conference, their mid-year conference. That year when we had registrations, was about 150 people. In 2018, went there as a, a graduate one, one night for their mid-year conference, their annual conference. They had 700 people, 700. Now, sure, that's not, that's not the growth of Fulton Street Revival, but that is real growth of God's people. And I'll tell you, if you're part of a university ministry, you know someone who works at a university ministry, they'll testify to this, that God is doing that work. And God is doing that work in churches in Australia, in Sydney, who are experiencing growth, who are experiencing the gospel going out and reaching many, many people through their ministry, through their people. So here's the thing I want to say. You know, that picture of the church in Acts 2, that is that is such an extraordinary picture. And don't we want that? Don't we need that? Doesn't the world need that kind of church who grows in depth, who grows in warmth, who grows in breadth? Because the church is the single greatest bearer of the good news of the gospel. And we live in a world that longs for, longs for something hopeful, for so something glorious, for something that points us beyond ourselves, which takes takes the current reality out of our hands and puts it in the hands of someone who can control it. That's the message of the gospel. That's the thing the church has to bear. That's the thing that the world needs. And, and you know, the Scriptures is calling us to be positive, to be optimistic, to have a gospel optimism about the spread of the, of the church and its message. So I want to call us to be a church that has gospel optimism, that has not believed that... The task of the church is to remain simply a shack in the field, but to take on the call of Jesus, to become a city on the hill. That is why our third third descriptor in our vision statement is to be a church made large, large. Not because we're about building our own little empire here, but because we want to be a church that has gospel optimism about the spread of God of the message, that we want to be a church which reaches more and more people and recognises that we're not there yet, that we're not there yet. The power of that word is in part diagnosing our current situation as much as longing for what we, we want to be. So if that is what we long to be, what grows the church? Well, back in Mark 4, verse 14, Jesus makes it pretty clear. He says, the farmer sows the word. The farmer sows the word. In some ways, it's very simple. It's the scriptures. It's the Bible. It's the place of the Bible in your own life, in the life of our church, and in the life of the relationships of our church and the ministries of our church. That's what grows God's church. Scripture. You know, sometimes we long... We, there is a simple answer to something but we want the one that has the least discomfort. So we'll go for that, and we'll pass over what's obvious, the obvious answer for what is the simple and easy answer, let me say that way. I think about weight loss, actually, often like this. How many people have made so much money out of the most ridiculous weight loss uh, ventures? Maybe you're watching a lot of uh, afternoon TV at the moment, (laughs) info channels, uh, or, or late morning TV with all their infomercials. What gets me is that over the years of late morning, afternoon TV, infomercials have never stepped away from their bread and butter, which is some form of weight loss technique. And all of them have this common theme, whether it's strapping an electrode to your chest or it's some kind of sit-up gizmo. Their claim is this will make losing weight easy. It's not easy. It takes hard work. It requires you to eat less, And exercise more. In some ways, the answer to losing weight is obvious. Less energy in, more energy out. But we're always looking for a simple answer, an easy answer. The Bible says there is an obvious answer to the growth. Jesus says there is an obvious answer to the growth of the kingdom. And that is the word of God, Scripture, the Bible, building our lives on it, entrenching it, burying it deep in our fellowship burying it deep in our lives, burying it deep in our heart, embedding it, so to speak, in everything that we do. That's the answer. Now, we always look for the simple answer. We think, oh, if we just hire someone, if we just follow some kind of course, if we just turn up to church every week, well, that'll, that'll grow the kingdom, and that'll grow us. But the answer is obvious, though it's challenging, because the answer is go back to the word embed the scriptures in our life that's hard because it, it requires us to reorient our lives to reprioritize our lives to make things more important something more important than other things it's hard because it involves intentionality and being deliberate but it's obvious as well because what does Jesus say the farmer sows the word sow the word reap the harvest that's what he's saying sow the word Reap the harvest. And so for us as a church, as we finish, I want to say one of the key values we need as a church is that we need to be a church that seeks to embed the Bible in everything that we do. In everything that we do. We need to embed it in our homes. Now, if you're a parent today, I want to ask you, how do you bring the Bible, how do you bring Scripture to bear on your family, on your children, on yourself, on an, in a daily, regular basis? Do you, do, you, do you sit around and read the Bible together over dinner? Maybe that's something that you can do. I mean, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty challenging thing if you've got smaller kids, but if your kids are older, that might be a possibility. It doesn't need to be a long passage. It could be just someone reads a portion of Scripture and you pray before you eat. It could be that simple. Maybe you read the Bible together with your kids before you go to bed. Maybe you sing a song that teaches you a Bible verse. We've been doing that at home at the moment, Acts 16, 30, 31. And we've been screaming it. That's how we learn it. How can you embed Scripture in your family, in your home? But, you know, as a church as well, it's not just about families. It's about here in our ministries. How do we embed the Bible in all of our ministries? When you meet with a group of people to serve together, does the Bible influence your life as a little ministry team in any way, shape, or form? I mean, if we just throw ourselves straight into an activity without any reference to God's kind of shape for that activity through his word, then, then ultimately that, you, you're getting a whole lot of work done, but you're not, you're, not in, you're not grabbing hold of the real power that Jesus says is behind growth. have got to embed the Bible. have got to embed the Bible with the people we pray with. You see, the reason why you want to embed Scripture in everything that we do, in everything that we do, is because Scripture opens the door for new people who are trying to understand the Christian faith. It makes it it clearer what God is talking about when we keep bringing them back to the Bible. It helps new Christians to grow in maturity. It helps them to get a greater vision for what their life is meant to be like. And it helps long-term Christians to stay on track because everyone everyone is prone to going off track. But the Scriptures keep bringing us back, reminding us who God is and the kind of people he wants us to be. You could say that Scripture opens the front door and closes the back door of church. We need to sow the word to reap the harvest. It's really quite obvious, actually, but it involves deliberate, intentional desire to embed Scripture in every part of our life. I think one of the things you could do, we could do as a church over the course of the next months and years, is asking our question, are we doing that? Are we doing that? Because Jesus says that is how the kingdom spreads. That's how the harvest is reaped, as the sower sows the word. As the sower sows the word. Now, if it is really that obvious, what inhibits churches from growing? Because the reality is, I think in, you know, in America, the numbers, we think of America as the land of mega churches. 80% of churches have under 100 people in them. So what is it that inhibits churches from growing? Well, Jesus gives us a couple of reasons why sometimes the kingdom doesn't spread in this passage. Look at Mark Mark 4, verse 15. He says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. This is a warning. It opens our eyes to the reality, actually, that there are external factors which often hold back the growth of the kingdom. There are external factors Jesus says Satan. And before we dismiss his words as some kind of pre-enlightenment vision, we talk about evil all the time. Two suicide bombers kill hundreds of people in Afghanistan. We know that's evil. We understand that that is just not normal, that that is an evil power at work. And see, the growth of the church goes head, head to head with the power of the devil. The church, the, one of the things that often works to try and mitigate against church, churches growing and the kingdom spreading and the gospel going out and people hearing about Christ is the devil. It is a spiritual work. We have to recognize that. We have to recognize that. But, but it's not enough to just say that because I think sometimes that can be our tendency just to say, well, the reason we don't have a church that's growing is because because, you know, look at the world around us. It's so opposed to Christianity. That's not good enough. Because, actually, look at the weight of Jesus' reasons for the church, not, for the gospel not taking hold in people's lives. The weight actually doesn't rest on external reasons, but internal ones. Because he then goes on in verses 16 through to 19 and says this he says, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the world and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things, come in and choke the word. And Jesus is saying something very important. And notice the weight that he puts on this. Sure, the devil has a part to play. He is actively working against the growth of God's church. But, but notice what's, what's often impeding the gospel taking hold in people's lives and his community. It's that the word hasn't gone deep enough. It hasn't affected the deeper things, our heart. See what he says, verse 17, since they have no root. In other words, it hasn't gone deep enough, hasn't transformed the deepest things that we love, the deepest things that we desire. And so because it hasn't, you see what happens in verse 19, the worries of this life? The deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things come in and choke the word. Because our hearts actually love those other things material prosperity, comfort in life, comfort in life, a vision of of a particular lifestyle. Because we actually love those things more than we love God, more than we love the extraordinary news of the gospel because the word is not deeper than all those things, because the message of the gospel hasn't got deeper, because the reality of who Christ is not is not as deep as our love for all those other things, that's what stops. That's what stops the kingdom growing. Internal things. I think this is, this is so important to reflect on. We have to ask ourselves, at least individually, if not corporately, is there a sense in which we have inadvertently or maybe even deliberately rejected the idea that our church should grow because growth means discomfort growth means giving up some of my material prosperity to see the mission go forward to see ministry flourish to see people reached by the gospel have we have we inadvertently or even deliberately rejected growth because we're actually trying to hold on to those things have we said, I, I do not have time for new people. I do not have time for, a, for sharing the gospel with people because it will intervene with my, my family life, with my professional life, with my leisure life. Do we love those things more than we love seeing the gospel go out? Because if we do, that's going to inhibit the growth of the kingdom. But what's really interesting about the principle of what, of what Jesus is teaching here is that... He, you see healthy things grow but just because something's growing doesn't mean it's healthy because you notice at the start the the, the seed in verse 16 actually does grow at first in fact it, great growth fast growth but then it dies away so you can long for growth even but if you long for for the wrong reasons uh, then that's not healthy growth and that will eventually die too See, you can be someone who wants St. Stephen's to grow, but that's more because you you just want to be reaffirmed to feel self-righteous. You're part of the big group now, not the small group. Or you want St. Stephen's to grow because it gives you more power over people. That's always a challenge for people in ministry. You can want a large church because it reinforces you. But inadvertently, that is not the word deep down in your heart. That is some other idol, some other love, some other desire that you're longing for. And that growth is not healthy. That growth is dangerous too. Jesus' words are so interesting, aren't they? He has such a positive, such an extraordinary vision for the kingdom. It will grow because when the word lands deep in the heart, Oh, boy, it's going to result in 30, 60, 100 times. But at the same time, he has a real sense of reality, doesn't he? That often, often though the word lands somewhere, it doesn't grow because the reality of people's hearts inhibits that growth. Either it springs up quickly and then dies off, or it never takes hold because they're loving something else. So, so how do we maintain a gospel optimism? How do we maintain a gospel optimism? Well, as we finish, I just want to reflect on a reoccurring theme in the three main passages that we've looked at. In John 15, Acts 2 and Mark 4. It's interesting how this theme reoccurs in all three of these passages, all of which are talking about growth. But look at this. Here's what they say. This is John 15. Jesus says, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Or Acts 2, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Or look at Mark 4, verse 11. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Do you see the recurring theme in each of those passages? In, in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. In Acts 2, and the Lord added to their number. And Mark 4, the kingdom of God has been given to you. See, Growth happens because of God. Growth happens because of God. You can sow the seed everywhere, but it's the Lord who gives you insight. It is the Lord who buries that seed deep in your heart, deeper than any other love or desire. You, you, you can model yourself on the early church, but it is the Lord who adds the number. You can long to bear fruit, but you must ultimately understand that any fruitfulness in your life comes from Christ. That's why, actually, our vision statement, let me bring us back to where we started from. At the beginning of this month, we long to be a church made beautiful, diverse, and large. How? By the gracious work of Christ. See, now, if we think that we're going to be the kind of church that we long to be, that perhaps lines up even with a scriptural description of the church based on our own efforts and our own activities, then we will inevitably be discouraged. And if we if we secretly even think that the key to our church growing is us hiring the right person or following the right procedure or kind of right strategic plan, we will ultimately be disappointed. No, no, we need to understand that it, growth comes from the Lord. And the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen King. And, and when we understand that it is Christ, the risen King, who gives us growth, it does a couple of things. First of all, Christ is the risen king. He defeated death. How can your or my human strategies ever, ever line up with the power of the risen king? He truly said, he said, remember in Matthew 16, I will build my church. The risen king said that. The risen king said that. He is the one. He is the source of power. And that humbles us who rely on our human strategies. It lifts those of us who feel at times defeated by the, the, the need for perseverance and endurance and struggle to see the gospel go out, to see the church grow, to see the kingdom enlarge. It's the risen king who's in control. It's the risen king. How do we finish? How do we respond? Well, I, I, want, I, want, you to say, I want to say this to you. If it's about embedding the word, then it's about calling on the Lord to do his work, isn't it? We have a, mission, we have a prayer meeting tomorrow morning, 830 it was great to see more people on there last monday get on it come and pray with us pray that the gospel would go out that this church would grow that the kingdom would be enlarged pray and as i call you to that i want to leave you with these words from martin lloyd jones in his book on revival I'll leave you with these words as a call and after that we're going to see here's what martin lloyd jones says he says this is what god can do this is what god has done let us together decide to beseech him, to plead with him, to do this again. Not that we may have the experience or the excitement, but that his mighty hand may be known and his great name may be glorified and magnified among the people. Amen. Let's see.